Hey friends, and welcome back to the Pastor AJ podcast, the Pastor AJ show. It's really not about Pastor AJ. It's all about Jesus, the one who rose from the dead and conquered the grave. That's who it's all about. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just me on the show talking about Jesus, talking about the Bible, stuff that I'm passionate about. And today I've got a super, super cool guest. He's backed by popular demand, a friend of mine who uh, lives over in Israel. Uh, so I'll bring him on here in a moment to talk to you, but uh, super excited to talk about some of the chaos culturally that's going on over there, uh, as well as, again, to discuss his journey uh, to faith from atheism and why Richard Dawkins is a little crazy. So all that, we're going to get to it right now. Here we go. Okay, so uh, here is my friend. I'm going to kind of introduce him to you right now. This is the one and only Ohav Cohen. Ohav, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hello, AJ. How are you? I'm All right, man. honored to be here again. I really am. I'm doing fantastic and uh, uh, honored to have you again. I, I know that, you know, the last time we spoke, we talked a lot about your journey to faith uh, we had several several people, at least I did on my end, that uh, commented on, uh, "Man, I, I listened to I listened to Ohav. I know you're an attorney. I know that a lot of times people, uh, you know, they they've got to listen to you in the court and so on. You probably are are well spoken, um, but uh, but I, I heard a lot of that on my end. People want to listen to Ohav. They want to listen to you. God they want, bless. They, they want to hear what you have to say." <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, man, I, I told everybody, of course, last time too, we made a connection when I visited Israel with my son, everybody knows about my, you know, whirlwind tour of the Middle East. We started in Egypt. We, uh, took the path of the Israelites from Egypt to Sinai to Israel, to the promised land. And so it was just fantastic. And when we got to Jerusalem, we met you through, uh, through our mutual friend, Andrew Jones, and we went out and we got some, we went cholent hunting. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, I know now you've said that there's better places, that you've discovered better places, so I'll be excited to experience that one day uh, on my next visit. We can, we can see the good stuff. Show me the good stuff, baby. I'd be honored. <laughs> so, uh, and, and so, uh, so, yeah, man. So, I, 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 uh, gosh, we, we tried to do this the other day, and then all of a sudden, the whole country was like in a shutdown. Um, yeah. Wow, I'm, I'm glad to see that you made it through that unscathed, or at least it seems like you did. And uh, what the heck is going on in Israel, man? What's what's happening over there? So it's very interesting. There's a lot of rumors about what's going on. If you look at it technically, it's about a legal reform. Some say a legal revolution. Okay. This is the more left-wing part. And some call it a legal reform. I'll try to simplify it, even though it's uh, it can be misunderstood, misinterpreted. But really, it's not even about a legal reform. A legal reform is just an excuse for these two parties to be fighting each other about something way more fundamental. The current situation in Israel is that in 1991, the Supreme Court somehow, I'm not going to get into it, but somehow found a creative way that no matter if the right wing is in government or the left wing is in government or the centralists are in government, the Supreme Court will have the ultimate veto power as to any legislation. Holy cow. If a, a right-wing government is democratically elected and they want to uh, enact a, a law uh, that has to do with uh, something, and the Supreme Court, which is obviously, uh, uh, I hate to say, but it's evident that it's left-wing oriented, very, very, very liberal. Okay. If they think that this rule is not good, these uh, Supreme Court judges who are not democratically elected can veto this rule that a democratically elected government ruled out. This is a bizarre scenario. It doesn't happen in any country in the world. Of course, not a country that is, says it's a democratic country. So what, com what what's happening now is that certain ministers, the legal minister of the newly elected government, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, but he's not the only one, are saying, let's bring the situation back to how it was before 1991 and two, that the Supreme Court has become a veto power for the government. Now, if this had been Electrod, uh, sorry, uh, uh, democratically uh, elected judges, and this would have somehow been logical that uh, this democ this is yeah, something yeah. democratic. Still would have been democratic. But, yeah, but the reason, but the the minute that these judges weren't elected democratically to begin with, you have this clique 
who is some sort of a legal tyranny, yeah, like who is in charge almost. of deciding what will be or what not will be. Came Benjamin Netanyahu with his newly elected government that was lawfully elected in November, sworn in on December. On the first week of January, they said, we're going to change the system around. We're going to break it down into three things. Number one, judges can't uh, uh, veto laws that the democratically elected government ruled out. Number two, in the commission that picks judges, which, you know, like in America, you have uh, it's uh, uh, public. You can ask them question. Your local congressman can interrogate them. What do you think? Of, correct me if I'm wrong. You can ask. Uh, the, the Supreme Court justices here are uh, they're appointed by the president. Not the Supreme. I'm talking about the, the lower court the, justices. The lower court justices. Okay. Okay. The, if I'm if I know correctly there. Yes, uh, I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm not. Supreme. I should know and I don't. So I apologize. It's okay. I think, I think I think you can ask them a question or two. And here what's happens is there is a committee of nine people, three Supreme Court judges, two lawyers. So that's already a majority. That's five out of nine. And the lawyers are always with the judges because they're afraid that if they go against the judges, it's going to come back to them the next day in court. Right, right, right. So you... So you have five out of nine, no matter who is in government or who isn't in government, the majority always picked itself. This is what happened. The majority picked itself. And what happened was the more left-wing, liberal, I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but secular, atheist uh, 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 crowd, yeah. clique, is the one that got full representation in the Supreme Court and in the general courts, no matter which government was democratically elected, which means when the left wing was in charge, the left wing uh, courts remained the left wing court. When the right wing was in charge, the left wing court was still a left wing court, but the judges could even veto the right wing legislation. The worst case was that a terror, a terrorist who was convicted for terror and for aiding and abetting a, a hostile nation tried to run in 1999 wow. to uh, the Knesset, and the and people said he can't be. He's a felon. He's he he spied for a foreign country against Israel. Came the Supreme Court and says no. We have a, a this thing. It's called a, a, a it's not like a, a, your a Declaration of Independence. It's not like a constitution. But we have this law that you can't hurt a man's respect and dignity. And by saying he can't be a minister or a MK, this is a harm of his dignity and of his freedom to oh work at whatever a, a, a he ter- wants. A terrorist. Oh. They're saying they're hurting his dignity? Hurting his dignity. Wow. But then when a, a, a right-wing religious a minister tried to run in the last, and he has a charge for tax evasion, not for aiding in ter- a terrorist country. They said he can't. He's a felon. You can't. You can't bring this guy. He evaded tax in 1996. He can't sit in the in the Knesset. So then, this is pretty much what the reform is about: about the ju- about the committee picking judges and about the veto power of judges. So what happened was. Wow. A lot of foreign power, and your senator, I, I don't know, remember if he's a senator or a congressman, uh, Nades, he said just last week in Congress that the ones funding all these protests are not, it's not sporadic, spontaneous protests. This is well-organized, I hate to say it, uh, Bolshevik rhetoric, oh, yeah. uh, very yeah. anti-God, very, uh, uh, you see all the signs, and he says all these things are, well, who's going to be a Supreme Court judge? And then they pick a name of a religious a member of he's going to be a judge and they give you know this a religious name of a religious minister you know in order to uh, uh, hate on them or to uh, yeah, yeah. be derogatory who's going to be only we can be judges he's not mualem can't be a judge and shikli can't be a judge this is the rhetoric yeah the Fast same thing forward. is happening here i i mean really you see the same thing with the uh, a lot of the riots that we we've, we've seen in our country um and they've exposed some of the the organizers of these things. It, it is a targeted, planned, uh, you know, demonstration. That that's what it Maple is. Revolution. And, yeah, yeah. Funded usually by the same people. By the way, your senator says the ones funding our protests are the, are the DNC, the Democratic the Democratic National. Co- this isn't me saying. This is one of us. Tom Nades, I think, is. I don't remember if it's a senator or a congressman. Okay. The, the 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 signs that you see, by the way, resemble very much the signs you saw in America when similar but different things happen. A threat to democracy, the beginning of tyranny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same rhetoric but they, of they, rainbow. It is interesting, and you can definitely see the spiritual element of it. There's no doubt. Um, you know, and 
it's so hard sometimes to get to get involved in politics because you, you can have friends on both side of the aisle, but uh, but some of these things are completely spiritual issues, and you can see the enemy trying to uh, just wreak havoc in the world through them. You can see it happening here. You can see it happening uh, in particular in Western democracies, I think, is where you really see a lot of the stuff taking place, and, uh, you know, it's sad. But explain some of this. What, what was the um, – I've got some pictures on the screen here of – you know, it looks like kind of like a road blockade. You've got these big protesters, riots, whatever you want to call this. Some, something is going on. I mean, it looks like all of this, there's a bunch of people in the middle of a street here facing oncoming traffic. There's also some kind of thing. It looks like, uh, almost looks like, a, I don't know, like a cult service of some kind with some, you know, um, people from the, the Handmaid's Tale. And, uh, (laughs) what is going on there? So this was all last, uh, Friday or Thursday. So here's what's happening in a nutshell. Everything I said is just the theoretic uh, uh, argument. What's happening physically in the physical realm is every Saturday since the first week of January, there is a between 100 to 200. The media sometimes over exaggerates, but 100K to 200K protesters in central Tel Aviv. And in other certain spots, let's say 200,000 people protesting every Saturday out of 9 million population. And Thursdays, specifically Thursday mornings up until the evening, not during the nighttime when people are in their home, are now considered uh, uh, the malfunction days. This is the national malfunction days. We're going to go into intersections, the biggest intersections. We're going to go into Ben-Gurion. We're going to block everything we can. We're going to do it with trucks. And you would think that this is a sporadic get-together. You know, uh, uh, John from up north and uh, Dan from the south all don't want to see this legal reform take place. So they're talking and let's... What we see is perfectly coordinated as if a military, I was a, I was a drill sergeant myself, I know how to coordinate oh, wow. a okay. military operation. Okay. This is specifically coordinated, pre-planned, premeditated, and most important, outer funded. Thursdays, besides blocking intersections, have also become a, something new. Netanyahu flew this Thursday noon, I don't know if you know, to Rome with uh, some members of oh, parliament. Okay. Okay. He's coming back in a day or two, and he's going to fly Thursday again to Berlin on another thing. So makes you wonder why he has to do it on Thursdays every time there's a national malfunction day, but that's a different story. What, what's happening is they're standing in front of Ben-Gurion Airport, the same airport you flew into Israel with, and they block his entrance so he can't fly on a diplomatic trip last week what he had to do was take a helicopter out of taxpayers money that cost tens of thousands of dollars to operate from jerusalem just because people blockaded his uh, entrance to ben gurion this is thursday so traffic people can't get to their homes doctors uh, on duty can't reach their hospital women in labor can't reach a hospital meetings works all this has been Cancelled on Thursdays. There's no real expectancy for you to actually arrive anywhere on Thursdays for the past weeks. And they say that this is... So this is every every Thursday, just so I understand. This is every Thursday. Wow. For the past few weeks. And it's going to be the worst, they say, this Thursday. They say we go one one store up. Netanyahu is flying to Berlin. We want even more. Okay. So so explain the people with the the handmaiden's tale people. What what was going on there? The little... Uh, circular cult looking so, Stonehenge thing going on there. So there's there was this sporadic, uh, allegedly sporadic new group of uh, women who are concerned allegedly. This is all allegedly with the reform. And even though this get together, I, I followed the Facebook page that uh, called for them to dress up like this and to come here at this hour and get this costume and then wear it and then. I think there were any men in those costumes. Was, yeah. <laughs> This page, this get-together, with a huge budget for th- for 2,000, 3,000 maybe women to have all these costumes and graphics and, and print and flyers and whatnot, this all came together in 2023. Now, this is a no-name ident- This is a no-name organization that all of a sudden started to get these women. This, yeah, just come. You're a woman. You can protest. You're like it's like the Handmaid's Tale. So just wear this and just 
stand in this. No, don't stand there. Stand in there. And then when you look at it from a bird's eye view, I even have better pictures to show you. You know what? I think I can even show it on my screen. They did some occult-like shapes that don't resemble <laughs> anything. I don't know how to tell you. This is, I think you can see a little bit of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're singing. Yeah, we can see it perfectly. This is one, but I think that the worst one I can show what you. What are they singing? Is is them standing in the specifically in the shape of a triangle of a pyramid, oh, and then in the shape of an eye, and these things, you know, a pyramid. There's nothing wrong about a pyramid. There's nothing wrong about an eye. But occults have yeah, been known yeah, yeah. to they use this and things. this as a symbol. Both yeah. of these as a symbol, and it just looks dark. It looks yeah, bizarre. Yeah. They don't even say anything. That a reference to the handsmaid's tale. That then you oh okay I see the linkage I see why they don't even say they just stand there in a cold clothes. Wow, I don't know. It, it you know it um it's fascinating too, and I, I think maybe a good segue into uh, you know a discussion about uh, atheism. But the a lot of this I I've seen statistics recently that are talking about how paganism is on the rise, and. To me, when I think about a lot of the things that we're doing culturally today, uh, people have said Christianity, and, and some of this is debatable. Um, I, I see the church uh, winning historically. I see, uh, you know, the, the church, if Christ rose from the dead, he certainly can conquer, uh, you know, the, the liberal agenda. <laughs> it's not a problem for him uh, to handle. It's okay. And, and, you know, but... Um, but you know that that Christianity is is uh, we live in a post Christian culture now. You'll hear sometimes and things like that, and and you do see this this secularist movement. It starts in our schools with our kids, you know, teaching them things like evolution that they evolved from a monkey. That you know maybe the Bible isn't true. Sowing those seeds of doubt. I know a lot of this was a big part of your story, your journey to faith was coming to see some of these locations in person and and you know, God bringing you to faith to go, okay, yeah, this actually happened. This wasn't just a, this isn't just an old story, but it's real. And, um, you know, one, one of the fascinating things to me is that I, I saw an article the other day in a, with a statistic talking about how paganism is on the rise. And I think it's, it really shouldn't be surprising when we consider what modern day uh, secularism is a, as a movement to try to push God out of everything. When, when you try to push God out of everything, how can we be surprised when the old gods start coming back in? And, and, and then I think that shows you where these movements are really coming from and who's really behind them. It's, it's spiritual forces at work. It, it isn't people. I mean, it's people being used by the devil, but, uh, but I, I think that's one of the things we see happening in culture, which is fascinating to me. And, you know, like you mentioned, the, the occultic practices here— uh, Apparently, nobody sees a problem with these. These people don't see a problem with, yeah. They, I mean, that that's like Stonehenge or something. I mean, it, <laughs> you know, um, you know, very, very interesting. And uh, our prayers are with you, my friend. I know that you've got a lot on your shoulders as an attorney, um, and uh, you know, just just prayers that uh, the blessings of God go with you in everything that you're doing. And uh, obviously, you know, you've you've got a little bit of a culture war to fight there. Uh, in your own in your own country, the way that we do over here as well, and um, you know, so our prayers go with you. Um, sure. I, I'd like to segue a little bit into to uh, your journey to faith again and and atheism. Um, you know, just by talking a little bit about this. So uh, you you did again. I mentioned this, but you had a kind of a journey to faith through exploring biblical archaeology. I think would be a good way to say it, and seeing. Uh, you know, the, the real Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia and uh, Noah's Ark and, and um, Sodom and Gomorrah was a, was a big one for you as well. I think you mentioned the garden tomb the last time we spoke. Um, but you also are, are an attorney. And one of the things that got me the last time we talked was uh, your legal argumentation for the gospel for uh, these Bible stories that this, this smoking gun was the term terminology that used used legal terminology. So I, what I wondered is, could you tell us a little bit about the legal process um, and how, like, in other words, how is a pertinent person convicted? You know, how do you presenting evidence, that kind of stuff? How do you do it? Of course. And of course. tell us a little bit about that. Um, and, 
how that played a role in your journey to faith. Okay, so I think we need to differ, uh, make a difference between uh, the burden of proof in a civil case as to a criminal case. It's very simple. Okay. In a civil case, it's called uh, in English preponderance of the evidence. You have to present to the judge evidence that will be preponderant, I guess that's a word, a 51% uh, burden of, con of uh, uh, convincing. You have to just prove more than your opponent, whether it's the plaintiff or the defendant. So that's the easiest in a civil case. You just have to prove more than your uh, rival. In a criminal case, we need a burden of proof called beyond a reasonable doubt. If we need to give it an unofficial number, it's 80%, you know, because you're gonna uh, convict a, a, a person, it, it, it might be sent him to jail. You can't just have 51%, you can't just be 51% sure. You need to be at least 80% sure before you send him behind bars. Yeah. This is called beyond a reasonable doubt. This is in a civil case and in a criminal case. Now let's talk about a criminal case, the harsher, because uh, when I decided to believe, and I do say the word decided, it did come naturally, but it was also a, a, a reasonable, a willful decision decision, I said, wow, the evidence that I want to have in my uh, hand, metaphorically, before I can say I believe in the Bible, is something even beyond beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't need 80%. I want at least a good 95, yeah. maybe even a 98. Yeah. You know, it's a big deal going from nothing uh, peculiar, nothing, sorry to say, nothing, uh, what you see is what you get. There's not nothing more than meets the eye. Yeah, like it's the There's best no of the spirit. options. So you're just taking, you're going to McDonald's because it's better than Burger King. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when I was, when I, before I decided to believe, and I do say the word decided, because it was a rational decision after being presented with all this evidence, I was so flabbergasted. I said, I can't, I can't ignore this anymore. This was after I, I wanted for there to be a burden of proof that's even beyond a beyond a reasonable doubt. And I'll explain this. If we are in a murder case, a murder case, when somebody could, could potentially be sent to his whole life in prison, maybe even get the death penalty in certain states, you want to really, really be sure he did it. I want to talk as if on the this isn't death penalty, this is life penalty. Yeah. It's the contrary. But the burden of proof I wanted was this of a murder case, only it's the exact opposite uh, uh, vibes, let's say. I wanted to be sure that there can't be anything else possible but the scripture. So you can't just base this on one story or two story or just the Torah. You need to go through the Torah. You need to get credibility from the Torah, from Genesis. That's Noah's Ark, Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, so that, does, in Israel, uh, what I'm asking, oh, I guess, okay, you're, you're talking about now, you're segueing from the legal process to biblical proving the Bible. Yes, sir. I, I thought for a moment there that they were using uh, Exodus and Leviticus in the court of law over there in Israel. <laughs> I was excited for a second because I feel like we should. I mean, you know, we should look to that as some of that as our guide, right? I, I honestly think we only need Ten Commandments. All the rest is, you know... All these little laws and all these little yeah, yeah. should well, be sufficient. But they're they're an expression of not not to segue, but uh, they're an expression of those ten. I think I think all of the commandments are an, are an expression of. I think you can qu sort of compact them all into. Uh, into tax. The 10. How do you how do you rational taxation? Oh, taxation. I don't know. There's a law that you need to pay. I don't see that coming from the Ten Commandments, but yeah, it's a different. Okay. That's okay. a different argument. I'm not uh, not 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 rebutting on that. Not rebutting. Go ahead. I didn't mean to, to cut you off there about, no, the, okay. about the Bible. So in order to convict, whether it's an American court or whether it's an Israeli court, they have to meet the same burden of proof. They must be presented, not only be presented with evidence, but they also have the ability, and this ties into the biblical research, they also have the opportunity to rebuttal this evidence, cross-examine a witness, cross-examine the defendant, cross-examine any of the key testimony givers, uh, be presented with the evidence, see the one, interrogate the ones who caught them and filed them and put them in the bag. You can, the whole chain of custody, uh, these kind of issues. And the most important thing about a criminal case is that the defendant has all the opportunity in the world in during in, with these uh, games to challenge the allegations against him. I want to do the segue uh, to uh, uh, religion and say that in my 
adventures, my biblical adventures. For the past three, four years, I was skeptical. Maybe this story, I believed in like one story, but in order to say fully, I believe in the whole canon, I believe in the whole Bible, this took a few years of, of, of really analytical yeah. research. I would imagine. I this. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, yeah. And, and that uh, obviously coming from the point of view of an attorney, so, you know, you're looking to beyond the, the shadow of a doubt, um, complete conviction. Um, having having that complete conviction of of what you're doing of what of what you're kind of putting your life into uh i i'm a bit of a, a kind of a, a scientific um rational thinker myself and when i first came to know christ and i started following him it was a bit of the same thing i wanted to actually look at other uh, study other religions and what other people say and and i did have lots of questions about origins as well coming out of the public school system where you're taught evolution uh, as a fact, it's it's just taught like it's a fact in our universities today, you know, and you if you ask questions about it or show how this doesn't line up over here, it mm -hmm. uh, you're looked at like you're crazy, you know. So um, so I, I went through a bit of a similar process, but uh, but I wouldn't say that I was ever an atheist. Uh, I actually grew up Catholic. And uh, even though I'm not Catholic now, I you know, had a belief in Jesus and I would, I prayed to Jesus and, you know, I went, I was Catholic until I was 18 years old and I started attending a Protestant church after, you know, I spent my little night in jail, um, and, uh, read the Bible for the first time and did all that stuff. So, um, but I was, I was never really a, a full blown atheist. And so that really piqued my curiosity about your, your testimony. And, um, I guess what I wanted you, the, the question I wanted you to answer for us today is just about, atheism how is atheism more and i'm gonna play a, a clip now from richard dawkins he's a famous atheist now this is from a few years ago it's a pretty famous clip this is actually a montage that someone else made which i think is a little bit more hysterical i'll put a link in the description uh but uh it, it basically shows the absurdity of thinking that everything came from nothing spontaneously without god's divine hand now someone could say they believe in evolution you know, I'm not going to go along with that, but uh, they still could believe, and many do, that God created the world through evolution. Fine. Okay. Uh, this is actually pure, just unbridled atheism and suggesting that sort of in a materialistic, super um, uh, scientific materialism uh, mindset that things just came about by clear random chance. So here's Richard Dawkins talking. I'm going to play a, a clip for, from him. I'm not going to play the entire thing, but you can look it up online. This Again, this is a little montage that kind of shows the absurdity of it. I'd like to hear you talk about maybe what brought you out of that absurdity and why you felt like faith is just a more logical outcome. So here we go. Of course it's counterintuitive that you can get something from nothing. Of course common sense doesn't allow you to get something from nothing. That's why it's interesting. It's got to be interesting in order to give rise to the universe at all. Something pretty mysterious had to give rise to the origin of the universe. The nothing that Lawrence Krauss is talking about whether or not it's what a naive person would conceive as nothing or what a sophisticated physicist would consider to be nothing, it is going to be something much, much simpler than a creative intelligence. Nothing. Something can come from nothing, and that's what physicists are now telling us. I'd been accustomed to the idea that pushing back from biology into physics, you get back to a zone where we don't understand, and you, and you get back to a zone where there's not nothing, but sort of a primeval sim simplicity. What I learned from, from your book, which I find stunningly exciting, is that it is literally nothing. It is literally nothing. It is literally nothing. Of course, common sense doesn't allow you to get something from nothing. That's why it's interesting. It's got to be interesting in order to give rise to the universe at all. Something pretty mysterious had to give rise to the origin of the universe. Something pretty mysterious had to give rise to the origin of the universe. Something pretty mysterious had to give rise to the origin of the universe. It is literally nothing. It is literally something nothing. You can dispute exactly what, what's meant by 
by, by nothing, but whatever it is, it's very, very simple. And why is that funny? <laughs> well, I think it's a bit funny to be trying to define nothing. <laughs> All right, so I, I wanted to let it play through the portion where the audience actually starts to laugh at Richard Dawkins, and he gets upset, and he says, why is that funny? Uh, but just kind of listening to him go on and on and on about nothing. But he, he contradicts himself when he says nothing is something. He, you know, so, um, so comical moment. I think that it, this, this video has made its rounds uh, on YouTube and other you know, other uh, uh, platforms over the last several years. And I mean, a lot of people have looked to it and it, it's, it's, it's a very comedic moment. What are your thoughts on this, Ohav? Uh, being somebody who kind of, you know, gravitated towards faith, why did you do that? Why it, do you feel that there's an absurdity in uh, scientific materialist materialism and atheism and, and that kind of stuff? And, and why? I'll tell you how I perceive things, also from an Israeli mindset and also from an American mindset. I did grow up in America from the age of 8 to 16, mostly in liberal America, in Berkeley, California. A, a lot of opinions in that area of the country, but not a lot of love for God per capita, let's say per capita. There's obviously believers, there's obviously churches in the Bay Area, but it's not a big... Uh, Bible uh, uh, city, Berkeley, California. Uh, let's as I say that as an understatement. What I think um, is that from a young age, the media um, and the characters and the stories and the entertainment that we consume over the past 20, 30 years is that that the cool characters, I, I intentionally pick this word cool, the, the heroes, the protagonists, are usually these uh, either secular uh, bachelors who are, you know, they're funny and they're in high school, if it's a high school movie or if they're more an adult, not a lot of connection to God. And the heroes that we see, uh, uh, whether it's a kid seeing TV, a teenager or an adult, not a lot of big gods people in the TV, in the mainstream TV. In Israeli Netflix, which is a bit different than American Netflix because we obviously have 95% American shows and maybe 5% Israelis, but it's a little different content from country to country. Okay. I did an experiment a few uh, months ago. I looked for God. I looked for Bible. I got one relevant result. It was the Russell Crowe film of Noah. Oh, yeah, then yeah, I did, okay. Then I did Devil. Oh, Lucifer, Devil. You know how many things you yeah, have yeah. on Netflix. That there's a show called Lucifer. Yeah. There's uh -huh. the devil's, and it's not like huh. the devil's advocate, like a phrase. Yeah. It's the devil, you see red, you see okay. pitchfork. Okay. This is the characters. So I think that one of the predominant reasons I wanted to be, I chose to be an atheist, uh, was because I saw around me that the cool kids, sorry to say, in Tel Aviv, okay. very liberal, very secular country, they don't believe in God. They even sort of mock it. And, yeah. you know, they don't mock it like haha Bible. They mock it and they say articulately, allegedly articulate, what do you think, that a, a snake talks? You think water parts into two? Come on, man, dude, look at... And, and, and growing up, intuitive, as a teenager, yes, you would think... I do. <laughs> you, you, you would think this is, this is where I want to be. Now, I also owned a bar in Tel Aviv, in a very liberal bar, in a very liberal street, in one of the most liberal cities in the world. It's not cool. It, was, it just wasn't cool to believe yeah. in God. Even if you came with a yarmulke, you're not, you might be drinking a beer like the rest of us, but you're not really in the club, man. You're, you, you don't know bacon. You don't know all these things. Sorry for us Jews. You're not really in the, you're not really in the, in the clique. Yeah. What I do think is happening is that there is a orchestrated battle. That's a subtle battle. They don't, the enemy doesn't show you in their face here. God is bad and go worship Satan. He doesn't go like this, but he delegitimizes God from yeah. day to day. Yep. And he legitimizes Satan. Oh, he's just a Netflix character. It's just yeah. Lucifer with his lip. As for atheism, for me, I can honestly say with a hand on my heart that what made me believe was, uh, uh, what made me not want to believe, sorry, was that it just wasn't cool. It just wasn't cool. I'm going to get, the cool chicks are going with these secular kids, The mm. at least where I grew up in this Democrat, liberal town, 
in Tel Aviv, near Tel Aviv. Also in Berkeley, it was pretty much the same. I can make the analogy. And about this nothing, I want to talk about this nothing. You know, when you talk to the most rational <laughs> so is, is it, is it nothing people, or is it something? <laughs> well, it's nothing or something. so contradictory. It, when you talk to these people, these atheists, and you say, you know what, just a question for you. There's a lot of set of questions that they don't know what to say, even though they're very rational. And yeah, yeah. You know, the, the body is a, is a machine, right? It, it's one of the yeah, most, art, it's right. not the one, of the, it's the most articulate. Complex, complex things complex, that we have, that it exists. So many things. Yeah. How do you even begin? Right. If you look at it as a machine, it's not the Lamborghini, the Ferrari of machines. This is the, this puts lamb. This makes Lamborghini looks like a hoopty, looks like a little uh, Subaru. This is not. If the, if we give this analogy, how do you explain that this and this and it knows how to heal itself? And if you have it, it does. And then you just if you rest, it gets better. You don't even, you know, and. And they don't know to say, well, maybe it's just sporadic, it's evolution, it became, and then you ask them, well, why didn't the monkey become as complex as me? And they say, you know, everybody in their own time. And then I, you know what I say to them? <laughs> they got an answer for Exactly. Yeah. You will also in due time evolve and realize <laughs> that the Bible is real. Everyone has their own speed. And everyone has their, is going to face the judgment day. Exactly. There, there will be a day, be a monkey, you know, and I, I hate to say it, but there will be a day. And, and it's honestly out of love because, uh, you know, that's what they did in the Bible. They preached, whether it was New Testament, Old Testament prophets are preaching. Uh, they're preaching about what's coming and for people to align themselves with a lifestyle that is consistent with faith. Um, but, it, but it, yeah, increasingly in culture, I, I agree with you. I think that we see uh, more and more these it's these things that are perceived as subtle but there's so many of them that it's not subtle at all. And that's why we see so much, uh, so, so many of the problems that we have today and, and so much probably gross uh, immorality that's just paraded in front of us and, and we're expected to receive it. Um, you know, hook, line, and sinker. We're just supposed to take it and we're supposed to raise our kids in a culture like this. We can't figure out why our kids are growing up and they're turning away from the church and they're turning away from their synagogues and they're, you know, these kinds of things. Um, but with the left hand, we're allowing all of these other things to take place, um, you know, which, which to me, as a pastor, somebody who studied the scriptures, and I go back to Genesis and I think of what, how God created us to, to be kings and priests in the world. That was how he created Adam and Eve in the beginning was to be uh, to to rule and to reign in the world. And then it's interesting to me that in the book of Revelation, it says that he has made us a kingdom and priests talking about Christ. So in a way, he's fulfilled this this thing that took place all the way in the beginning. He allows us to express the image of God and the nature of God in the world, which is why we were created we weren't created to, uh, you know, to represent the sinful deeds of darkness everywhere that we go. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I think uh, that, that really struck a chord with me when you said that about the, about the subtle, the little subtle things that they say, it's not a big deal, you know, it's not a big deal. And probably that one thing by itself isn't a big deal, but it's just that there's so many things there's so many things that it overwhelms or it, it can't, it can't overwhelm the light, but, uh, but I think culturally it can be suppressed. Um, you know, the, the, the image of God can be suppressed as, uh, Paul talks about that in, in Romans chapter one, you know, uh, how people suppress the truth with unrighteousness. And it's, and, you know, I, I thought it was really cool too, how you said choice. People take choice out of their decisions. They take choice out of their religion. They take choice out of their culture, and they think they don't have a choice. We do have a choice. If nothing else, we have a choice over ourselves as to what we will choose to believe, as to what we will choose we will do, how we choose we will act. And, um, and, and I think people take the choice out of it. But it's, it's, a, it's an intentional choice on the part of some of the higher-ups, I think, in culture to try to push God out. And that really shows what's behind it, that it's, that it's not just a government movement. It's not just a, a school, a movement within the schools and higher education or academia. Cause that's where you see the, the same culture war happening. Um, we're basically, we're, we're educating our kids in, in paganism. I mean, it's what's happening. I, I think, and, and then we wonder why, um, 
we wonder why they're they're turning away from God when they get older. I, I think that's one of the things that's happening. But you can see the absurdity when a guy like Richard Dawkins opens his mouth and he tries to describe nothing as something, and then he's using the two words interchangeably. Um, I, I to me that's where one of the places one of the places where the argument for scientific materialism, in other words, that everything just came about by random natural processes, because everybody that's an evolutionist isn't. Uh, a believer in just straight scientific materialism. Uh, some of the, you know, many of them, you know, maybe most of them do believe in God, but I would say that um, it's just a slippery slope and, and they're actually taking on the, a, a belief system that's come from the other side in order to make us weak in our faith. I mean, that's, that's the way I see it. So um, yeah. Any, any thoughts from you on, I, I guess on that, on, on, yeah, on modern, well, this is one of the things I wanted to throw at you is, well, are there any modern day, uh, do you see any examples in, in modern day myths, like a neo-paganism, et cetera, maybe it's evolution, maybe it's whatever, um, that some of the evidence you've seen for God would debunk modern day myths, things that we, we think that we live in a quote scientific age, but it seems like the further we go, the more we digress into paganism, into ancient paganism. And, and so do, do you see any things that would debunk some of, some of the modern-day myths that we see? Of course. So I think one of the main attributes of paganism, uh, if you really need to simplify it, is that no matter what, there is no God. Or no matter what, God doesn't have the upper hand. Uh, there is a different entity that has higher hands or different entities. So with Sodom and Gomorrah that we spoke about in the last episode, yeah. I, I think I spoke about how uh, even though this sulfur was found, that's the purest sulfur in ever be, to be found on all of planet Earth, and even though sulfur only occurs, arrives when there is a volcanic area in proximity, in this area that not only was sulfur found, that makes no sense because there's no volcanic activity and there have, never yeah, has yeah, been right. all through the Dead Sea. This is not just any sulfur. This is the purest sulfur ever to be found two times as, it's not 49% as pure like the normal sulfur, it's 98% pure. So what science said, science, and this is leading universities in Israel, that a lot of modern day uh, uh, perceptions are originated from these universities, to say the least. Yeah. Um, they said, well, you know what? Yeah, the, it's not like as if we have a story that entails exactly why there is sulfur in this area of the world. And this story, it's not from a day ago. It's from thousands of years ago. And it's been passed on from generations to generations, engraved into stone, not just on paper. Yeah, <laughs> it's not that. It can't be that. It's anything yeah. but that. <laughs> It just can't it's, be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're, and you're saying, "Wow, this is a this is out of place. This is peculiar. If only I had an explanation." Yeah, which, which takes you into the realm of faith. Do? Now, what, now they've stepped you? into the realm of faith with their argument. So, so what do they say? These uh, very rational uh, entities, universities, they say, "Well, perhaps." And it always starts with a perhaps. It's never for certain because if it was certain, you need to show the evidence. They say, "Well, perhaps we speculate. <laughs> they love to speculate. We speculate that." This and this thousands of years ago, there was a sandstorm from the Sahara <laughs> Desert in Morocco. In Morocco. Not that, and this desert picked up sulfur that weighs about, I don't know, how, to, uh, 30, 40, 50 grams. That's a sandstorm there. I got one of those sulfur balls. It's, it's, it's this big. You mean you mean, you mean mean the sandstorm from the Sahara balls? It's yeah, not, it took not a, a baseball-sized <laughs> Sahara ball. And it and it it was such a it was such a unique storm from the Sahara that it only moved these peculiar sulfur balls. It didn't bring rocks, it didn't bring thorns, I don't know, plants, trees. It only brought these peculiar yeah. sulfur balls from this anonymous part of the Sahara Desert that has the purest sulfur. This is not your homeless in the street saying this is not some drunk person this is your leading professors in your leading universities yeah. claiming this with a straight face in order to debunk um, what uh, probably uh, actually happened. to debunk they're yeah. just presented with a question they're not yeah. even presented with a they're saying well how do you yeah. explain this how do you explain this? 
World uh, Sahara, the sandstorm, something. They love these sandstorms. They everything everything that's out of place usually comes from a sandstorm. There's a lot of sandstorms at the time, according <laughs> to universities allegedly. Well, they can that's come up. One example. Given enough time, this is one of the things that uh, I think is a bit comical about evolution. Is given enough time, you can have miracles. So, in a sense. What we have in, in, in life, this, this miraculous thing that we have here called life in, in our planet and our moon and the way it all works together to just give us life the way we know it on earth and experience it, given enough time, miracles can happen. And so I, I go to great lengths to say that evolutionists are, evolution is a religion, atheists, modern day secularists are very, they are incredibly religious they just practice a different religion than I do. Um, one, one of the foundational principles of, of science, modern-day evolutionists use this, is called uniformity. Now, there's no way to, uh, there's no way to prove uniformity. You, you, we can't really observe. It's not observable science, which is what science in theory is supposed to be. That's the scientific method. And I think a lot of this plays into the legal realm as well because you're looking for actual evidence. You're looking for something that you can point to to go, oh, yes, this is why you know that uh, Harry killed S Sally. Um, but with something like some of these under, under guiding, undergirding principles for, for these things, there you can't prove uniformity. You can't prove that the world and the universe, uh, in, in particular the world, I mean, just when we're looking at geology, for example, if we just leave it to the realm of geology, you can't prove that the, uh, this river has been operating under the same water flow that it has for 4 billion years and, and that that carved the Grand Canyon. You can't prove that. You can look at it today and say that, okay, it's been running at this or maybe for the last 100 years since we've had video or we, you know, maybe we have other historic references that we can, can utilize uh, even before there was things like pictures. But, but, you, but beyond that... We don't have any way to prove to. We don't have any way to prove the statements that we make in the scientific realm, with with some of these things. So you know when you when you get into evolution, I think that there's faith there. You know one of the one of the other funny things that kind of reminds me of what you were saying with Sodom and Gomorrah is uh, an evolutionist response to a global flood, and 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 they won't go out and talk about this, but they actually believe in up to six global floods they just they say oh it wasn't a catastrophic thing though it was a tranquil flood because when you study the geology and you go down and you see these like these basically these these gaps in between the layers there's just one layer and then there's another layer there's not like a slow steady progression like there would be if uniformity was true um it almost it, it, it looks like there was a flood to me that's more indicative of you know, multiple stages, multiple tsunamis and things from one large catastrophe that buried all these animals in the ground and fossilized them. But to them, they, you know, they look at it and they assume, they assume by faith millions and millions and billions of years. And then, so then they have to, you know, try to prove that out. So they, so, okay, well, there's, we know that it can't be true that there was one large catastrophic flood. And it can't be true that the Bible, that these stories we read about in the Bible actually happened and that there's some validity to them. So there, it, it has to have taken place over millions of years. So then there would have, the, the, we can see that the world was still covered by water, but it was covered by water six times. And that this just, the, the ocean level just, just magically rose and covered all the surface of the earth six times. What was the mechanism for this? And, and now when we do things like this, okay, this, this gets back to the whole paganism thing. Are we just sort of diving deeper, if it's Sodom and Gomorrah, if it's evolution, if it's whatever, into the absurdity? Are, are we diving deeper into, when we're trying to define nothing as something, even though they're mutually exclusive terms, um, are we, is there really something else going on? Why do you think people are doing this, Ohav? Why do you think this is happening culturally? So I think that uh, the first person to go on, uh, to go off and be a, a publicly atheist and uh, even, uh, uh, sorry to say, uh, intentionally try to attempt to debunk everything godly or biblical, I think that this 
you know, this is theoretical, yeah, but I think that this person uh, had a, a hint of, I want to be different, I want to be cool, and this was at times when the Bible was actually more popular. So I think that the original, at least here in Israel, uh, this was originally a democratic and Jewish country. Most people in the 1948, after Israel came, after the Holocaust, in Israel at least, I, take, I talk about here, but this is also relevant to America, they were more biblically oriented than today. The first person is stand up and say, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. Who says that this and this, even though there's good explanations for all these stories of the Bible, I think he was a, 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 the, the exterior person. I think he was the, the, the different guy. During the years and during the decades, specifically the last, I think, 30 years, it has become the mainstream view, and you see this everywhere. Even the Israeli shows used to be more biblically oriented back in the day, only 60 years ago. Today, you're lucky if you have one biblical reference during a whole day of broadcasting in hundreds of, of channels. Why do people do this? I think originally it's to be cool, to be rational. Oh, I'm not part of those conspiracy theorists, uh, tinfoil hats, believing in something <laughs> untangible, uh, water splits into two, yeah. snake talks to you, burning bush, but it doesn't burn. I'm rational. I know that if I touch a, a kettle, I'll get burnt. And I know that if I go in the street in traffic, I'll get, um, I know how the world works. I, there's, there's nothing more than meets the eye. I, what I see is what I get. And everybody who says other, and then they usually also do it with a, a derogatory, uh, inclusive uh, terms towards the believers. It's like as if I were to say to the Christian crowd, well, you can go to your Sunday morning pastor and he'll uh, tell you all the secrets of the world that you can't go for, you know, all this derogatory. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I think yeah. this, it originates from wanting to be different. And then after it became mainstream, it originated from wanting to become mainstream. While you see that the alternative, which isn't really the alternative, it's the original, the Bible, uh, uh, this is the the biggest origin you could think of, is actually uh, more m more than plausible even to an atheist. And they intentionally ignore all the evidence presented to them. Exactly like you said, it's become an even. It's this is a become a religion. No matter what, just not God. A Sahara sandstorm, but not what this yeah. story that went down from generation to generation says. <laughs> Why do they do it? I think, I think also, this is going to be maybe a little messianic. What I'm about to say, I think they haven't been shown the way, brother. Yeah, yeah. I think they were like me. No I'm, one I'm all about it, man. It. I like that the way. <laughs> they haven't been shown the way. They're lost in Babylon, man. We we need to bring them uh, to the light. Amen, amen. And, and honestly, that that is that is obviously our hope. All joking aside, um, when we do look at people and we see this absurdity, let's call it for what it is. It's absurdity. It's it's clear. I think to to most people, that's why people were laughing at Richard Dawkins mm -hmm. when he made this statement because the the whole audience they they uh, spontaneously um, erupted into laughter because it's it's ridiculous um but really you know even look when you look at the example of christ uh praying for his the people that were killing him um you know that i think there's no greater example and and uh it is our desire to see people come to come to know uh come to know the one true god i i thought of this scripture as we were talking um and it's in the book of Romans. It's in the beginning of the book of Romans. But uh, Paul seems to have actually some more ancient literature on his mind here while he's while he's writing this. Um, he borrowed it from the um, the wisdom of Solomon, a, a portion of this from the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, there's some similarities there, but I think he was using it uh, to to juxtapose what he was about to say in Romans chapter two. But nonetheless, I think there's truth in this. He says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all. All the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Um, and, and so, like he goes on to say, how you can actually see God's laws at work in the creation. So, this idea of suppressing the truth. Uh, I think is is really at the heart of what we see going on. It's 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 and in, in, in getting back to what you said about the idea of choice, and um, and choosing choosing the path that we forge for ourselves in this world. I think that's something that people are trying to get away from today. Responsibility, 
choice, mm-hmm. whether, whether it's, yeah, responsibility for the unborn, um, responsibility, for, which really is, is the, the equivalent of their own actions. Um, bringing, bringing a child into the world is something that you, you chose to do. No, you know, you chose to, to engage in certain activities, knowing that something would be the result. Um, so I, I think that this, this particular idea is just really um, relevant for us today. This idea of how we suppress the truth and, where does it come from? It comes from the wickedness of people who are intentionally, uh, they're intentionally trying to suppress uh, God's righteousness in the world. It won't be victorious. It won't ultimately work. Um, God may, you know, allow us to lose some battles over, you know, a short period of time uh, and, and give cultures or nations over to the things that they crave and desire. So, I mean, I think you, you know, sort of see this element going on, but it, it started with an assault on, on God, I think, um, it, on every level, whether it's government, um, we've, we're really seen that come into fruition today where, um, you see God being pushed out of government. And that wasn't at all what the founders of, of America were thinking of when they were thinking of, um, the idea of freedom of, of religion, that wasn't the, what they were thinking about. Today, atheists have tried to hijack that term and, and turn it into freedom from religion. That The idea was that we wouldn't have a state-sponsored religion. You know? So now it's just, we're not, there's not supposed to be any religious mention at all in anything that's affiliated with the state. And that's actually not at all. Uh, what the founders of this country thought, or probably, you know, as well, the people that founded Israel in 1948, and still many of the people that are in government, I'm sure, don't think that way today. But you see people trying to push God out. There's an assault on God in government. There's an assault on God in academia. We see that just with a general rise in atheism, like you referenced. Um, uh, People trying, like Nietzsche, trying to find a a morality Mm -hmm. without God, which is one of the craziest things you can try to do. You, you can't, I mean, he really failed at it miserably. He came up with his Uberman. Um, Nietzsche was one of Hitler's heroes. I mean, so we see how, how all that worked out. Um, it, you know, it, it's also been in the evolutionary community, the same thing like science, the, the realm of science pushing God out. So I think really what we've seen in this time period that we've been in, in Western civilization is just really, an, it's been an assault on God trying to suppress the righteousness of God with the sinfulness of the human heart. And we've chose, we choose this, we choose, this is what people don't want to hear today. We choose to do certain things when uh, officials are elected, you know, number one, we should feel blessed to live in a society where officials are elected and they're bad people, bad men and women. We elected those people. They were the people that we wanted, that we felt would give us the most, you know, happiness that we could find according to our whims and desires. And so, um, you know, God, God's put us there to, I think, set people straight and, and try to teach them the truth, show them the way. I like the way you said that. Uh, what, why, are, why are these things? I want to finish on this idea. We've had a lot of good conversation here, I think, but uh, I want to hear some more from you. Why are these things important? Uh, why, why, are, why is it like a Judeo-Christian worldview important for culture in our world? And uh, maybe is there any way that you're sort of trying to uh, help be the solution uh, for some of the things that you see going on in culture? First of all, on this subject, I must say, now in retrospect, one of the things, sorry to bring it uh, a little bit for a side, but... Yeah, take it where you want it, man. No, no, see how this comes perfectly back to what you just asked. But this is a thought from, uh, I was thinking while you were talking, one of the things that made me believe more and more in God wasn't just just the physical, archaeological, logical evidence, etc. It was one more thing. The minute that I saw that there really is a battle to, a subtle battle, uh, a, a clear, evident battle to silence God in the Bible, this was when I said to myself, wait a minute, <laughs> who do you need to silence? Yeah, yeah. Who- not, you don't silence nothing, 
you silence when there is something. Right, right, so right. You don't right. want people catching on. Yeah. So when you see all this censorship, and really yeah. it's evident, mm. even just the Netflix analogy that you see how God, Bible, nothing, but Lucifer, oh yeah, Lucifer in the mall, Lucifer washes his car. You see, wait, what do you do? What? This can't be just a coincidence. What, is, he's, is, he, is it more of a Satan uh, era now? People are more into Satan these days when it comes to merchant? No, this is something, this is a religious battle. Yeah. This is a fundamental battle. That's about that. And you ask me, uh, why is it so important to live in a Judeo-Christian? I think that when you look at the Torah, I'm not talking about the Talmud. I'm not talking about uh, uh, also the New Testament and the Torah. Let's put them on the same category. You see that the fundamental, um, uh, 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 how you say this, I'm looking for the right word. The, the, The base of all this religion is morals and values that are universal and that are timeless love thy neighbor as you love thyself the ten commandments basic but not so basic ways that you can live your life rightfully honestly and you see that with a lack you see all the all the problems today are is somebody just not following the ten commandments yep if you see corruption it's Thou shall not steal. Maybe somebody taking money that he's not eligible for. You see somebody messing, sorry to say, with another man's or a man messing with another man's wife. This is also. You see people hurting, murdering, even not loving their neighbor as you love yourself. And this is the base of corruption. People say, oh, it's because... Trump or Netanyahu or now it's Biden or now it's this guy. It's always the big guy's fault. No, it's the little guy's fault. It's the little guy's fault that didn't believe in the biggest guy in the biggest words. Yeah, and he's not following them. Somebody who felt, you know, I used to be in a point in my life that if I needed to lie for even in the court for something, I don't, I don't mind saying. I felt relatively comfortable. I'm just doing my job. I'm just, you know, just, just exaggerating a point or two. What's the big deal? When you become religious, you th- you take every word into consideration. You say to yourself, even if this is just my job, I don't want to be doing this. This isn't what God mm-hmm. wanted me to do, even if it's what it can win a case or whatever. So for the past, I don't. I I, I I hate to say it sounds almost unbelievable. I'm a lawyer. It almost even sounds like liar. But I've been trying to maintain the to the truth to the evident truth for the past years. This is. I, I'm not saying this is. It won all the cases in the world. But I slept good every night yeah. because I knew that this was. And this is just a personal example of not lying in the court. Obviously, God's commandments are way more vast than just this little prism. But I think that it is important because when you look down on it, you can try to argue with it. Yeah, but the Bible also has this, but the Bible also has this. How can you argue with love thy neighbor as you love thyself? How can you argue with Mm. turn the other cheek? What can you say? You you can't turn the other cheek because then the person (laughs) will come next time and he will take advantage. Everything is okay. It's not... no, Amen, so let's hurt them back. Let's hit them back. Let's get, put yeah. be in this endless loop of uh, turmoil just because you didn't turn the other cheek because of your ego, of your whatever. I think the world also hasn't tried to live only via Judeo-Christian principles. I think it tried many, many things, tyrannies, democracies, monarchies, but no one really tried. You know, there's a quote in Judaism if you know we can take it to a christian place to a different religion but if the whole world observed shabbat just for one week they say world peace will come and the messiah will come oh i love that wow i hope so the problem is that we collectively didn't give a collective effort it was always these uh, different sects believing and it wasn't really something a consensus there wasn't even one time a government came and says even in Israel, even in the Vatican, I believe, we only go with the Bible. That's it. None of these other sets of laws. Yeah. Amen, my friend. Well, thank you so much, Ohav, and uh, very, very uh, fantastic time again. I think great discussion. Uh, I, I think another another great episode might be discussing the commandments, the Ten Commandments, their relevance for today, even the the law of the Old Testament. That might be a, a good one. I'm so tempted to go there right now, but, uh, you know, we'll have to save it for another time. And uh, might be it's kind only of neat. Ten, it's only ten small ones. We can do real fast. No, I'm joking. <laughs> another episode. 
But uh, yeah, God bless you, man. Again, prayers uh, for everything that you're going through over there, you know, culturally prayers for Israel and, um, you know, I, I guess for our world, for Western civilization and, and the whole world, just that people can come to know the way and uh, find peace, find peace with God, find peace with their fellow man. That's really what, uh, really what we want for everybody. So, so thank you, my friend. God bless you. And uh, if you have not uh, been a part of this uh, uh, show before, then I, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to think um, about some of the, the subject matter that we discuss here. Um, if you've never come to know uh, the Christ that I discuss and talk about every single week, uh, all you have to do is actually just ask, express faith in him. That's what the Bible says. And so, uh, so I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. All you have to do is, uh, the Bible says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So just say this prayer with me right now, and uh, it'll change your life like it did mine many, many years ago. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. I ask that you come into my life. I ask that you help me uh, to live for you. I believe what the Bible teaches about you, that you uh, died for my sins. I thank you. And that you rose again three days later, that I also will be like you one day with a new resurrected body. It's hard for me to understand, uh, but I do believe it by faith, Lord. And I ask you to come into my life, change me, come into my heart, give me your Holy Spirit, help me to live for you uh, help me to have your Holy Spirit today so that I can live for you tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did say that prayer, then uh, you are uh, a member of God's family. So uh, regardless of who you are, where you're from, what your nationality or race is, God welcomes you in. Uh, he is not a discriminator of persons. So uh, we celebrate with you. God bless you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this content today. I hope uh, really above all things that it was life-changing for you or that if you are a believer, that this was encouraging for you and it's going to help you to go out there and want to change your world for the better. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Peace. We'll see you next time.